Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. Well, hello, everyone. We are so glad that you joined us tonight for service. We're going to get started with some worship, but first I want to say a very special hello to our online audience. We are streaming live right now, so they're getting to be here with us. So let's get started. Let's worship together. See the light breaking through all the lies with the truth. Hear the sound of the wind, let the roar of heaven begin. Can't stay silent, can't stay still when you show up in power, glory reveals. Oh, I can't stay silent, can't stay still when I feel the fire, feel the ground shake, heaven Water, I won't go under. 
this worship up to him. You didn't part the sea so I could drown in open water. You never turned your back on me. You didn't give me sight so I could never see the promise. You're always working in the wind. This is not
didn't take the cross, so I forget that you are faithful. So let it never come to be. Didn't leave the grave to leave me at the sinner's table. You have prayed a place for me. No, this is not. This is not. something greater is coming, if you believe in greater things, we take a moment to not just acknowledge that greater things are coming, but the process that when you are in the midst of, you have to remind yourself that everything that you are going through is working towards the glory of God. So even your bad days are a testimony to God that he still will be good. We want to lift this song up with you guys. We hope that this encourages you through every season you may have gone through. May your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. May your May your bad days prove 
Let us pray together. God, we're thankful. In seasons of plenty and in seasons of famine. And even though that may seem complicated at times, we've come this far and we have now realized that you have brought us this far not to leave us, but to walk with us the entire way. So we can stand here with absolute certainty under this tent and declare that, God, you are up to something good. You are a God of purpose and a God of a perfect plan. So even when circumstances don't show us that, we put our faith and our hope and we rest our hearts on a good God. We ask that you move mountains under this tent. We ask that you be with us as we hear the message that is going to be brought to us. May every word that is spoken to us and over our lives give you honor, glory, and praise so that at the end of this night, we can lift up and say with absolute certainty that God, you really are good. We ask these things in your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, you may be seated. Well, we have had a busy weekend here at Seacoast. Um, we kicked it off last night, our Champions Club. They participated in Night to Shine, a virtual Night to Shine with the Tim Tebow Foundation. Oh, can you hear me? All right, there we go. Um, and if you don't know what that is, that is the Tim Tebow Foundation puts it on. Um, and it is a prom night experience for people with special needs. And so we did it in person a few years ago. And this year it went virtual, so we did it. And I know a lot of you donated gifts and gift baskets that we were able to deliver to our champions. And so we'll be sharing some pictures over the next few days on our website and social media so you can see that. Um, and so we want to just thank you for that. And then also happening this weekend, our kids' building is officially open. So, yes, we are so excited about that. Our kids are back inside in their theaters. We have babies now, so from nursery all the way to fifth grade. Um, we are keeping it safe and sanitized, and we are so excited to welcome back all of our SCG kids. And then we also are having youth launch this weekend. Um, so tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., we have our junior high and high school service happening. So if you have a youth in your, in your home, um, come back, bring them back tomorrow. You can come to service again. Um, and then also this week, we delivered 350 gifts to our first responders. Um, we partnered with Hopkinson Elementary, and they, as a school, made Valentines. And then we put together care packages, and we hand-delivered them this week. I got to go on a few of those, and it was just so awesome to be able to deliver those to them um, and just bless them this week. Um, yeah, so great. That was, that was fun. Denise had a great team. 
of volunteers that put everything together. And so we want to thank you guys for that as well. Um, and now it is Valentine's weekend, and we have a song that we want to do. I think Nick's going to do it about love, so let's do it. Can you guys clap for this? Yeah, everybody hurts sometimes, I know that's what they say. But right now it seems this loneliness won't go away, yeah. Can anybody feel this heartache? Is anyone around? Feels like I'm running around in circles, we can't catch our breath. We can't enjoy the moment when we always want what's next, yeah. Just when I can't take no more, though, that's when I hear you say, Don't hang your head when you get lonely. How you guys doing? Doing good? Yeah? Doing all right? All right. Um, well, I want to welcome everybody here that's obviously in person and those of you who are watching uh, from your cars and then everybody joining us online. Thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. Um, it's a three-day weekend. Now, do those still count for anything or no? Is those, are those still a, do we still take those? I don't know. I don't, some of us have been on like a year-long weekend, so okay. Um, a couple of quick things before we get started. Um, one is uh, I just want to continue to encourage you guys to, to give and give faithfully. You guys have done a great job, and um, I just want you to, uh, to know how appreciated it is, but also to continue to give and give faithfully is um, we are continuing to open up more and more of our ministries here. Uh, as Amy mentioned, all of our kids' programs are open on the weekend, um, and so uh, we, we just need to continue to push forward, and um, so thank you for giving and giving sacrificially, and, um, and also giving of your time. You guys are just doing an amazing job, so thank you guys so much for that. And, and then uh, a couple other things is, um, what am I supposed to tell you here? Oh, new people. If you're new or you're a returner, meaning if you're back for the first time into in-person services, or um, you're new or you're new in the last few weeks, is we have these things called butter bars, um, and you can get one of those at the container after service. It's free. We're not going to ask you for anything. You just go up and say, hey, I'm new, or I'm uh, newly back for the first time, and so we want to make sure we give you one of those. Okay, so since it is, since it is Valentine's weekend, um, I thought it would be interesting to do a quick survey. So um, let's start off with who in here has been married the longest, all right? The longest. So um, let me see here. If you've been married for uh, 40 years, would you raise your hand? Anybody in here been married? for 40. Okay, so 40. Okay, good. Oh, wow. Yeah, 40 years. 
Okay, there's quite a, there, there's, there's, some, there's some people, okay, what about 50 years? Has anyone in here been married? Yes, 50 years, 50 years, all right. Okay. 60 years? Has anybody been married for 60 years in here? 60 years, I can't, you're going to have to help me. So if someone's around you that has been married, how about 55 years? 55 years? Has anybody been married 55 years? Okay, so um, let's see who's been married the longest. So I say 50 years, go ahead and raise your hand again. Okay, back there, how long have you guys been married? 52, okay, 52 years. And I think I saw, I think I saw somebody over here, 52 as well. Anybody beat 52? Anybody been 53 years? In the cars back there, has been married 53 years, okay? 53, what's that? There, <laughs> I'm not even gonna repeat, okay. Yes, I am. That's gross. Um, okay. So uh, I think we have a gift. So if you're back there in the car back there, yes, back there. Hey, Tim, can you give them a gift? And I want you to come up in a moment and tell me how long they've been married for. All right. How about newlyweds? Is there any newlyweds that have been married less than a year in the house? Anybody who's been married less than a year? Where? Where? Been less than a year? Yeah, you don't count. Okay, I mean you do, but you don't. All right, uh, anybody less than a year here? All right, anybody less than two years in here? Anybody less than two years? No? Oh, wait, am I missing somebody? Are they out there? Oh, out there. Okay, Tim, you got to go back out there, bro. Sorry, right there. We got some newlyweds. What is it up with the uh, newlyweds and then the, I don't know, the oldlyweds? I don't know what they call them, but they're, uh, they're back there. Okay, um, Okay, and uh, let's see. I think I had one more. Oh, is anybody engaged? Do we have anybody who is engaged here? Do we have anybody engaged? Engaged in here? Where? Back here? No, you don't count again. You guys don't count. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. I'll, yeah, they don't. Oh, yeah, so engaged back here? Yeah, engaged. All right, Tim, hook them up right there. All right, we got engaged right there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, who wishes that they didn't? Never mind. Okay, we weren't, we're not going to get into that. Okay. Tim, did you find out how long they've been married for? 56 years. Wow. That's awesome. And uh, online, if you uh, want to throw a comment, if you have been married, let's see if there's anybody online. Maybe we, they can tell me afterward if anyone who's watching online has been married longer than that as well. Okay, uh, so because it is Valentine's Day weekend, it is uh, kind of one of those... Um, one of those weeks where love is kind of been forced upon us, whether we like it or not, and we have been told that uh, we are supposed to be romantic this weekend. Now, I'm not a romantic person. Um, I think I've had maybe one or two romantic times in my life. One is which um, I proposed, then when she said yes, I quit being romantic. And so, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a super romantic guy, um, but since a young age, we've all been taught that there is this fairy tale story that is, um, that is being written in our lives, if we're doing things right at least. And so we'd see this from Disney movies. My, my kids are really into the Disney movies right now, so we watch them on a daily basis, and I can tell you how all of them go. No, don't, don't clap that, okay? Don't clap for Disney. And I know that they never outgrow this, at least the ladies don't, because my wife still watches her version of them. They're called Hallmark movies. Ugh. Yeah. And, um, and the storyline is kind of the same. You know that there is going to be this fair princess, and that Prince Charming is going to come, and he's going to sweep her off her feet. And yes, there's going to be some trials along the way, but there will be a happily ever after, of course. Whenever I'm laying in bed and I don't watch the Hallmark movies, I refuse to watch them, I will always say, babe, they're going to end up together. You don't have to watch the whole thing. I know they are. I just know how this story goes. Now, this is what happens in the movies, is Prince Charming and Cinderella come together and it's happily ever after. The problem is, is that real life doesn't really look like that. It, it doesn't look like Prince Charming. It looks more like Prince Charles. And Cinderella's not really there. It's more Camilla, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? It's, that's kind of a more realistic version of what it looks like to be a prince and princess. Some of you guys didn't understand that reference. I had to Google it myself. I knew I'd heard of them before, but, uh, but, but there's, no, there's no fairy tales in this deal. 
Now, there is a way to have a really good marriage and a really healthy marriage, and I find uh, myself being very blessed because not only am I in a really great marriage, um, but I have seen examples of them, is I've seen my parents and my great my, my, my grandparents, my great-grandparents all have had healthy marriages, and my wife has also seen the same thing. And so this is what I want to talk about this weekend, is I want to talk about what it looks like to um, prepare for a great marriage. And some of you guys are thinking, I'm already married, too late. Well, we're, we're, we'll talk about that a little bit. But it's a talk I heard about 10 years ago from a pastor that I listen to all the time, his name's Andy Stanley, and he gave this talk, and I'm not going to lie, I'm going to steal three of his points, okay? There's going to be six tips. Three of them are his, three of them are mine. And when I heard this, it just resonated with me because it made a lot of sense, not only for myself, but for at the time when I was teaching young adults, I said, guys, this is something that if we can figure out, this is really going to set us up for marriage. Now, for me, I've, I'm married, I've been married for a while, and, um, and so I'm not really preparing for marriage, but guess what? I have kids, and I want to help these kids prepare for their marriage one day. And so you might have kids that aren't married, or you might have grandkids that aren't married. And so this is a way for us to help teach them to, to get prepared for their future marriage um, as well. Autumn, uh, one of our pastors here, she was talking this week at staff, and she says, you know, we've come up with some things that we think um, if our kids don't do or they mess up, it could really derail their life. And so we're trying to be intentional about addressing these issues. And the first thing was if they don't uh, follow the Lord. And the second thing was if they marry the wrong person. Number one and number two. And I thought, well, yeah, we should probably be thinking about this and being highly intentional about not only passing on our faith to our kids, but preparing them for their future marriage, which is kind of weird for some of us because my kids are little. To think about them getting married one day is just terrifying. I don't even want to think that they're going to be teenagers. But it is something that we need to be thinking about. And for those of us who are married and maybe uh, are experiencing some tumultuous times, or we just need to kind of have a tune-up, I think there's going to be some great tips in there as well. So this is not one of those like super deep, super spiritual. This is just real practical. We've done those. This weekend is Valentine's weekend, so we're going to have a little bit of fun. Oh, I will warn you. Since all of our kids' programs are now open, some of this might be PG-13, okay? So you might have to put the earmuffs on. I'll give you a warning when I'm about to say bad things. All right, here we go. First one is this. Oh, by the way, the follow-up on the romance thing, here's what I've decided. Uh, I've decided that, yes, I'm going to try to be more romantic, and, um, and I'm going to try to, to do more romantic things and, and creative things for my wife, but here's the most romantic thing that you can do in your marriage— have a healthy marriage. I'm more and more I'm convinced is just the most romantic thing that you can do is have a healthy marriage because what happens in a healthy marriage is all the things that you're hoping will happen in these moments of, of romance is there's intimacy and there's, there's uh, vulnerability and there's a connection there is those things take place within the context of a healthy marriage. So first one is this, is get out of debt. Super simple tip, right? Get out of debt. And I don't just mean like um, debt like a mortgage. I think that's, that's acceptable as long as you're within your, your means. But I'm talking about consumer debt. Is the kind of debt that you have on your credit card or student loans or personal loans, is that kind of debt that you've been dragging around? Is you gotta get out of debt. Because the thing about debt is, debt is ugly. And the reason why it's ugly is not just because you owe a bunch of money. It's, it's ugly because it's a bad habit. Like, think about the bad habits that you may not like. People who smoke or who drink too much or, or uh, overeat. Overspending is just another bad, ugly habit. It's a habit that, when you are single especially, um, people are going to look at, just like any other bad habit, and it's going to make you less attractive. So if you're thinking, you know, this person is like, whew, they're like an eight. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. You guys remember dating, right, some of you guys? Okay. You look at this person, you go, ooh, they're like an eight. They are cute. And then you start to talk to them a little bit, and you get to know them a little bit, and you go on a couple dates, and then you realize, oh, but they have $12,000 worth of credit card debt? You are a six all of a sudden. Or what do you mean you have a $1,000 purse? You have no money to put in it. Who needs that? Yeah, sure, he's cute, and he's funny, and he's charming, but I'm tired of paying for all the dates because he's broke. So... This bad habit, just like all the other bad habits, makes you less attractive. 
And I'm not just saying like physically attractive, obviously, but it makes you a person who, if the, this is a person that you should pursue, they're going to look at you with this extra baggage called debt, and they're going to go, eh, I'm not sure, I'm really interested in taking all of that. And you might be tempted to think, well, here's my plan, is yeah, I have this debt, but one day I'm going to meet this person that I'm going to marry, and then we're going to get married, and we're going to have two incomes, not just one, and I'm going to be able to pay off all of my debt. Isn't that just a great plan? Okay, <laughs> I think this might be a problem. A uh, couple things is one, you have now brought into your, um, into your marriage a, a set of issues. And if you think it's hard dealing with debt as a single person, having single person issues, imagine having mar marriage people issues. Those are fun. Those are really fun. Because when you're a single person and you're dealing with this issue, it's, ah, okay, I can't go eat out. I can't go hang out with my friends. I'm going to have to, you know, get rid of the car. Maybe I have to move back home. But that's a sacrifice, but it's not that bad. But when you have marriage issues, it's no longer we have to buckle down. It's there's tension in the relationship. And now we have all this conflict. And what started as a money issue now becomes a marriage issue. And because we have all of this tension, we've forgotten what the, the initial problem was now because we fought so much and there's so much anger and so much frustration, so much pressure and it's building up. And now we're about to break and it all started with this thing called debt. And so one of the things that I encourage people as, I, as they're uh, thinking about getting married, or even if they're not, even if they're single and they're not, not even sure if they want to be married, I say, you know what, why don't you just get prepared for marriage by eliminating debt? Because here's the thing. Not having debt equals freedom, but having debt equals slavery. And I didn't make this up. This is actually in the scriptures. Here's what it says. In Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. See, what the scripture says is when we have this debt, what we're doing is we're entering into a relationship, either with a person or a company, and now, we are, now we're accountable to them. It's kind of like being an indentured servant is we are accountable to them, or if we, we do not do what they told us to do, which is pay back a certain amount, then they're going to either take away all of our money, take away all of our stuff, or they're going to ruin our financial future. And so we're always going to have to be accountable to them until we've paid off our debt. So for parents and grandparents, this is a, a, an incredibly important lesson that we have to teach our kids, is to avoid debt at all costs. <laughs> at all costs, that's funny. Um, because debt is going to bring an incredible burden in their life. And it's not just teaching them uh, about debt, it's teaching them about financial responsibility. See, when I think about teaching my kids, I want them to know a few things when it comes to money. Is I want them to know what financial responsibility looks like, and, and I don't wanna, I, there's kind of two sides or two ends of the spectrum. Is there's this one side which I don't want them to think that money is gonna solve all their problems, because it's not. And so I want them to understand money is just a tool. It's another thing that we can use. And so I want you to understand that it's not going to be your, your savior. And yet at the other end of the things, I want them to take it serious so that they can experience financial freedom. And the reason why I want them to experience financial freedom is because I want them to be able to be free to do what God called them to do. And sometimes when we have all of this debt, we can't pursue what God has told us because we're anchored by it. And so I want them to be free of that debt. Not so that they can rely on money for their happiness and their joy, of course not, but so that they can be free to pursue what God has for them. And so I want to teach them to give generously. This is one of the most important things that I think we can teach our kids and that you and, and I need to remember as well is, is to give. And, and this, is, if you know about you know, tithing and, and the scriptures, it says that we should give 10% of our income. Our first fruits go back to God. It says, God, I trust you. I trust you with everything. I trust you with my eternity, with my soul, with my future, and with my money. And so we give 10%. And so I want to teach my kids to give 10% as well. In fact, whenever they get little gifts and stuff, and they get an allowance, or they get birthday money, I go, hey, you know what we have to do with that? We got to tithe that. So I want them to, to be generous in their giving. I also want them to save, but not to hoard. I want them to be able to save up for things so that they know what it looks like to have hard work because one day they're going to want to save up for things like a house. But I don't want them to hoard that money because it's funny, in my kids I can see different dispositions and, and maybe you have this or this is you as well as, as I can see one kid loves to spend and one loves to save. And so I kind of got to like 
lean into one for one area and lean into the other for another area because their tendency is, oh, I'm going to hoard this. It's all going to be mine. It's like, no, you're going to give. Okay, you need to stop spending a little bit. You need to save because I want them to be responsible. And then, of course, I want them to be content. Whatever God gives them, there's going to be seasons of highs and lows, and, and I want them to be content in whatever season that they find themselves in, that they trust. God's going to take care of me, and so in, in times of abundance, I want to be generous with that. In times when I'm not sure how I'm going to get by, I want you to trust that God's going to take care of you. I want you to be content in whatever God gives you. And so if you're a married person and you're thinking, wow, I wish I would have heard that before I got married. That would have just relieved so much tension because it has just been this, this, this thing that's in the background of our marriage and sometimes we fight and I know we're not fighting about the thing. We're fighting about the thing in the background and that background is debt. Well, here's what I think you could do. Is yeah, it would be nice to go back in time and not have all that and yeah, you wish your spouse didn't come with student loans or those bad habits or whatever, but you can continue to wish that things were different or you can work hard and make them different. So I was here this week, and I was uh, hanging out in the kids' building as we were getting things ready, and there was a bunch of folks coming in, and I asked Autumn, hey, what do you guys got going in here tonight? I said, well, we've got financial peace. We've got a bunch of people coming in trying to figure out how to better use their money. And what was a cool story is I've heard of different people coming out of this, and not only did they become uh, more financially responsible, but these people are going to uh, have plans to retire early in their business. It's just cool stories coming out of there. And so think about this, in a year, two years, five years from now, you can continue to wish that you had better habits, or you can actually start doing the hard work of, of getting those better habits. Okay, number two is, uh, this is the PG-13 one, okay? All right, earmuffs, earmuffs, if you're not mature enough, even if you're not the maturity level of a 13-year-old, you better put earmuffs on. All right, here we go. Number two, stay out of bed. Woo-wee, all right. <laughs> You know what I mean by saying that. Okay, all right. <clears throat> there's, a, there's this kind of cultural understanding, or at least kind of feeling that I get, that sex is just another physical act. That it's just something that's natural, it's a desire that we all have, which is true. And so just like when we're hungry or we need to sleep, it's just a desire, it's a, it's a thing that we need to address in order to, to kind of uh, quench our thirst, if you will. Or it's just another kind of extracurricular activity. It's like swimming. It's like running and jogging. It's just one of those things that we do with our bodies. And the scripture has some very important things to say about sex. I could do a whole series, and I have done a whole series on this, but let me just give you one really quick uh, passage that I think gives us some insight. Paul says this to the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. So he gives this direct command. He says, I don't want you to tiptoe. I don't want you to just be careful and to move slowly. I want you to flee from sexual immorality. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're hearing this and you're going, okay, here we go. Point number one, give me your money. Point number two, don't give out your sex, right? Like those are the, I knew this was going to be the message. This is why I don't go to church. Well, just listen, okay? Just listen for a moment. Is he gives us a reason why he says this. It's not because, you know, the Bible doesn't want us to have any fun or anything like that. He says something profound, something that we intuitively know to be true that he's able to express here. He says this, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So what he's saying here is, is he's saying sexual sin is different than all kinds of other sins. He's not saying it's worse, but he's saying it is different than the rest of the sins that we may commit. Because this sin is a sin against our own bodies. So lots of sins are against other people. When I cheat somebody, I've taken their money. And the way that I can kind of restore that is I go and I make it right by giving them money back and apologizing. But there's something about sexual sin that it hurts not just other people, it hurts me especially. See, what Paul understood here about sex that we have forgotten as a culture is that sex is powerful, that sex is fragile, that it's something that's soul level deep. And when we mess it up, it affects us in a different way. See, I've counseled tons of people. I've heard lots of people and their regrets and their shame and their guilt that they feel. And I have yet to hear someone say, you know, just seven years ago, I got a speeding ticket. And I was just driving fast. And I just, I can't forgive myself for driving that fast, you know? No, I've never heard that before. I've always heard, here's where I messed up. I had this boyfriend I, you know, I was living this lifestyle. I just went out there and I just slept. 
I've never heard somebody be really torn up about a speeding ticket. I've heard lots of people torn up about sexual immorality because there's something different. There's something different about this sin. It's more than just a a physical act. It's more than just some kind of physical connection. There seems to be something that happens at a soul level. And so what the scripture tells us is it tells us that it is fragile, it is dangerous, but it is a gift that God has given us. A beautiful gift, but a gift that has to be used in the right context. Continues on, he says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So what he's saying is, didn't you know that when you became a Christ follower, in, in some sense, when the Holy Spirit came into your life, it now dwells in your body. Like there was in the Old Testament, there was like, like the, the tabernacle, and then we had the temple, but now it's moved into us as individuals. This is where God's presence dwells, is within us when we accept Christ as our Savior. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So when someone purchases something, they expect something in return. That's pretty simple. And so when Christ died for you, and he paid the price for your sins, he purchased your freedom, your forgiveness. And in return, he wants something. That's your very life. He wants to be in control. He wants you to to be in submission to him. And so, and here's the conclusion, therefore, if God paid for you and now owns you, honor God with your bodies. See, this is, the, this is kind of the takeaway when it comes to a lot of the, um, the moral lessons of the scripture is the end goal is to honor God. So when it comes to our money, we honor God. When it comes to our bodies, we honor God. And so Paul says that we as believers are called to honor God with our bodies. And it's not because God wants us to miss out on some kind of fun. Here's the crazy thing, and you may not know this. God created sex. I know. It's crazy, right? Like, he wasn't just watching Adam and Eve and going like, wait a minute. Hey, whoa, hey, hold on down there. What are you guys doing? I did not intend for this to happen. You know, like, no, 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 that's not. God, he gave it as a gift, and he goes, this is going to be awesome, okay? You guys are really going to enjoy this. You're gonna, it's going to be fun, okay? But you got to be careful, because this is a really fragile gift. So use it the way that I have intended. It's just for Two people, a man and a woman, who are married. That's the context in which it's going to take place. If it happens outside of that, there could be some really destructive uh, results. I used to tell the young adults all the time when I would uh, talk about this is, is about the, just about, even if you didn't believe Jesus and the Bible and all that kind of stuff, if we just followed this one rule, just the sexual ethics of the scripture, what the world would look like. Can you imagine what it would look like? Can you imagine how much pain and shame and regret and abuse there would be, uh, that the, the world would be rid of if we just followed just that one command? The world would be turned upside down. So he says, look, it's not just because I, I want to be mean, it's because I want you to see um, that I have created this in a very specific way. And so, honor God with our bodies. Um, whenever I do premarital counseling, we talk about this kind of stuff. And, and I've yet to hear... Um, one person look at the other person and say, you know, there's just one thing that bothers me. They just haven't slept with enough people, okay? I think we may need to take a break. They need to get out there, get a little bit more experience, have some fun, then we'll get together because I don't want them to, I don't want, I mean, come on. I, I want them to know what they're doing. No, I've never once heard that before. I've never heard somebody say that before. And it's because we know that there's some kind of connection that takes place. It's more than physical, and so we have to be very careful with it. So uh, one of the challenges I give to people um, is if they are uh, kind of in the life stage in which they're dating or, or they're in a relationship, if they have kind of messed up and they found themselves crossing these boundaries, is to take a year off of dating. Especially when it comes to young adults, they just go, a year? I haven't been single since I was 13. <laughs> How am I supposed to do that? And it's like, just, just try it. Try taking a year off, no dating, no nothing, and see what happens. Because in that year, what's going to happen is the fog in your life is going to start to clear, and you're going to start to learn some things about yourself and about God and maybe why you've been in these relationships. And, and so take a year off of dating. Write it down. to If today is that day for you, write it down. Say, okay, one year from today, I'm going to try because it hasn't worked my way yet. And so let's see if I take a year off of dating, what happens? And I think there might be some clarity that takes place. In fact, I know it because I've seen it so many times, is take a year off. Now, for us who are parents— this is one of those things that I, I don't think we can afford to mess up. 
is we have to teach our kids the value, and, and not to scare them, but to help them to understand, wow, what a gift this is, but wow, what a danger it can be. And so we want to tell them about the beauty and, and the, the danger of this beautiful gift and the context in which it needs to take place and, and how we, we can, you know, help our, our future marriages and preserving it. And, and so if you are a person who is married and you go, okay, I want to talk to my kids about that, and you know we're kind of coming up with a plan, here's the other thing, is you know, as married people, that you are not supposed to be in anyone's bed except for you and your spouse. That seems pretty obvious. Christian or not, I think we all kind of agree to that one, at least in theory. But here's one that I would add for you, is don't just stay out of bed, but keep your mind out of someone else's bed. Oh, okay, about to get real. What I mean by that is what you watch and what you think about. Remember, Jesus talked about that, and he says, yeah, yeah, it's not just about the action, it's about what's happening mentally as well. And so keep your mind out of somebody else's bed. Because the number one intimacy killer is lust. Whether it's in your present marriage or one day you want to be married, that intimacy, it, it gets, the, the senses get dulled a little bit. There feels like there's an emotional kind of affair that's taking place. And so we have to not only guard our bodies, but we also have to guard our minds. Number three, what time is it? Okay, I'm going to hustle. Clean out your closet. This means deal with your emotional baggage. So let's go back to my hypothetical uh, uh, premarital counseling. And um, we're talking about, you know, the day that's coming up and what's going to happen. And they, they get ready to prepare their vows and they stand together and they look at each other in the eye. And, and let's say maybe it's just sporadic. It's spur of the moment. And they're going to say it in front of all their friends. And one, one looks into the other's eye and says something like, I cannot wait to be so codependent with you. I cannot, I can't wait for us to get in such knockout, drag down fights, and I'm going to blame you for all of my daddy issues. Oh, it's going to be a party. I can't wait to just ruin our children. They are going to be in counseling for, oh my goodness, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy what we're going to do to our kids. It's going to be like, we're, we're just going to have a dump truck with our emotional baggage, and we're just going to keep dumping it on them. Isn't that going to be fun? No, no one ever says that. And yet, there are so many marriages that they may as well just say it, because we all know that's going to happen. <laughs> we need to see it a mile away. This is going to get ugly very quickly. We got to deal with our emotional baggage, meaning we got to do the hard work of realizing, you know what? I've got some anger issues. I've got some insecurities, some, some jealousy. I've got to deal with these things now. I've got to empty out my emotional closet. It means I've got to open it up. I've got to see all the stuff I don't want to see because if I don't, what will happen is it's going to destroy my future marriage. And some of you guys are in that place right now. See, when you're single, you can get away with, and they, this is kind of what um, I see with a lot of young people is um, you can ghost them, right? You've seen this? We ghost somebody, it's a date, it's a friend, it's whatever, and it's just, you know what? I don't want to deal with them anymore, so I won't answer their text messages. I will delete their number. You are blocked now. It's as if you don't exist in my world anymore. And you can get away with that when you're single. If you do that to your spouse, oh, that is not going to end well, because either it's going to ruin the relationship, or it's going to ruin your family and your kids and your future. And so we got to deal with it. We got to start dealing with this stuff. Now, um, married people, I think you know this. You got to deal with your stuff. But here's the secret. You can't force your spouse to deal with their stuff. We want to. We wish they would. We're like, come on, just deal with this thing. And they're thinking the same thing about you. Here's what I learned early on when my parents uh, would sit my sister and I down after we had been in some kind of conflict. And I was explaining to them, hey, your daughter is out of control right now, okay? I'm over here just trying to read the Bible. I'm praying. You know what, you know what I do, Dad, you know? And she's over here just like acting a fool, you know? And, and my parents would say, Cody, she's not your responsibility. You don't get to choose what she's going to do and what she's going to say. And no, 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 she's got to own that. Now, your responsibility is you. What are you going to own in this? I'm like, Dad, Dad, the only thing I can own is, is being a saint in this house, okay? That's the only thing I'm going to own. No, no, Cody, what, what do you need to own in this? And what they were trying to teach me is you don't get to change other people. Only other people get to change other people. It's their deal. What are you going to own? 
And so whenever I see people who are kind of struggling in their marriage, I go, look, you can tell me all the things that are wrong with your spouse, and you might be 100% right. All that I care about is what do you need to own in this, and what can you fix? What can you do? You don't get to force them to do anything. It's really only what you can do and how you can, um, how you can change. Parents, our kids are not born with emotional baggage. They're not. And we're going to be the primary ones that give them all of that baggage. And so the best way to help them clean out their closet is to not fill it up in the first place. And so the best way to not fill it up in the first place is for us to deal with our stuff. It's for us to get healthy. Because the healthier we become, the healthier our kids will become because of it. And so if we want to raise kids who don't have a bunch of emotional baggage, we got to be people that don't have a bunch of emotional baggage. Okay, i got six minutes left. I'm going to go through these last ones really quick. Number four, create a list. Come up with a list before you meet your spouse of characteristics that you want to see in a a future spouse. Negotiables and non-negotiables. I had this list. I remember writing this out. I had this list. Here is what my future spouse will look like. So there are negotiable things. And so maybe it's like, you know, negotiable things. They can be taller than me or I can be taller than them. Yeah, I mean, I would prefer it to be, but that's not, that's not a deal breaker. I have an uncle who is five feet tall. That was not on his list. He was like, look, I'm going to take what I can get, okay? Uh, Whatever. (laughs) Or, yeah, it would be great if they, you know, had a full head of hair or whatever, but that's, I can deal with that. But then there's the non-negotiables. Like, they have to love Jesus. They have to be a Christian. It's not just like, oh, they're open to it. It's like, no, he is the most important thing in their life because that is the most important thing in my life. And they're, they're in a local church, and they're committed, and they're serving, Or maybe they're a person of character where they're living a life of holiness or they come from a great family or if they don't come from a good family, they've done that hard work to to, to overcome their family of origin issues or similar goals in mind. We're going in the same direction. We talked about that last week. We're going in the same direction. Both of us have the similar uh, career or we have the similar family. Family, that's a, you want kids that I don't want kids? Well, that's probably not gonna work out. That's gonna be an area of conflict. We gotta be heading in the same direction. Because here's what happens if you don't have a list. You ever been out to eat, and you order something, and it's taken forever, and you're just starving. And they bring out the food, and it's not what you ordered. And you go, I'll just eat it. It's fine, I'm, I'm hungry, I'll just, I'll deal with it, I'll eat it. I've seen a lot of people do marriage like that, where they're just like, I mean, they're not exactly what I was hoping for. In fact, there's a lot of things on there I would have not put there, but man, I'm hungry. I'll settle. You know what? This is fine. Whatever you give me is fine. Do you really want that? No, 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 no. You want to have a list beforehand. And you want them to have a list because you don't want them to settle for you. And so get your list of non-negotiables. These are the things that I have to have. Not because I'm so odd, but because this this is the future that I prepared for. This is where I'm going. This is the kind of person I want to be, and so I want them to be that kind of person as well. Okay, real quick. Uh, number five, seek wise counsel. So when you're seriously dating, um, you have to find some people whom you really respect because they're going to see things you're not going to see. They're going to see things about your relationship. They're going to see things about them and about you, and, and they're not going to have that, that like love in their eyes in which it blinds you and makes you silly. You know, they're going to be able to see things and go, hey, um, I know that you think they're so cute, and you're so in love, but maybe you've no, you haven't noticed this thing over here. Somebody who you really respect, somebody who has a, a marriage that they've been married a long time, those people who've been married 50 years, go talk to them. Find out, hey, what do I need to know about this? People who are believers, um, people who are people of integrity and character, go and find some people like that and say, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Because I'm blind. Love makes you blind. And so I want to see what you're seeing. Okay, and then this last one is this. Once you have gone through this whole process, and, or you, you know, you're teaching your kids this, and, and you're working through this, and you found the person, and you've checked off all the boxes, and you're getting married, and they finally find it, and, and you're married. Here's the last thing. This is, for, this is an all play. This is everybody. Lower your expectations. Lower your expectations of your spouse. Is... It, it, let me give you an example, really quick. I think I got time. Yeah. Let's imagine that we walk into a room together, okay? And I open up the door and I say, hey, here is your room that you're going to be staying in. 
And let's imagine it's kind of shabby. Things are kind of falling apart a little bit. Uh, it's got an older TV in there. You know, it's just, it, you're not convinced that, uh, that it's been cleaned in the last week. You know, it's one of those, host, it's one of those rooms. Now, if I went and said, hey, this is your hotel room for the night. This is your honeymoon suite. You would be disappointed, to say the least, right? If you're my, my wife, she would walk out. But let's say that I take you to the same room. I present it to you, and I say, now, here is your jail cell. <laughs> I don't know why you're in jail, but you're in jail. This is your jail cell. You go, this is pretty nice. Right? This is pretty good. You got TV in here? Okay. I got, wow, this is great. What's the difference between the two? It's the exact same room. Expectations. Lower your expectations. See, I try to tell my wife this on a regular basis. Babe, I get it. I'm disappointing. I know. I know. I look in the mirror every day and just go, Cody, you're a disappointment, you know? And I say, that's why you need to just, you know, find your joy and value in Jesus, not me. <laughs> right? Because I ain't going to help you here. <laughs> If I'm where you're going to find joy, you're in trouble, my friend. Lower your expectations. Jesus is the one that will fulfill you. He's the one that will bring meaning and joy. Your marriage, however great it may be, is not made to bear that kind of weight. No matter how great that relationship is, if you're putting all your hope and joy in your spouse, you will be disappointed. And so lower your expectations. Go into it and go, you know what? I'm just hoping this is going to be decent. All right? I'm hoping this is going to be decent. Now, I hope the end result is it's awesome. But if you go in just going, all right, you know what? We're just going to make it through. We're just going to serve Jesus together and see how this thing goes. And when they do something that is above average, you're going to go, I knew I loved you. <laughs> you know, I knew you were the one for me. Like every three years, I get my wife flowers and she's just like, that's amazing. And I go, yeah, see how spoiled you'd be if I did it on a weekly basis? Lower your expectations, right? Failed expectations is, uh, according to Dr. Gary Rosenberg, is the first step towards divorce. And so when we, when we realize, and, and all kidding aside, when we realize that they're not going to be the ones that are going to fulfill us, that that's not what they're there for, that we're doing this together, and, and I don't anticipate or I don't expect for them to, to you know, bring all this joy and meaning into my life, then you actually have a lot of fun. Because I'm not disappointed in you because I, I have you know, reasonable low expectations. Reasonably low expectations, what I tell my wife. Reasonably low. All right, here's the bottom line. I'll finish with this. I've learned from a very young age, and my dad always taught me this. He said, Cody, and I remember he told me this a thousand times growing up. He said, Cody, become the person that you want to be married to. That was always the guiding principle. Become the person that you want to be married to. Even when I was a kid and marriage was like the furthest thing from my mind, he always said, Cody, Become the person that you want to be married to. Because you can't expect them to be something you're not. And so become the person you want to be married to. And so as a parent, I want to raise my kids to become the person that I would like them to marry. Right? Like, I, I want to I raise kids the way that I hope there's another parent out there that is raising their kids and that my child will marry one day. I, want, I pray for my kid's future spouse and for their parents right now that they're doing these things, that they're helping them to, to be financially responsible and to, to clean out their closet and to pursue, per, pursue, pursue, be pure, okay? You know where I was going with that. Is I want, I want them to be working to become the person that I hope that they would marry one day. And so for us who are married, and maybe we're having some conflict, remember, you don't get to change your spouse, but you can become the type of person that you wish they were. And maybe they'll be inspired, maybe it'll let off some tension in a relationship, maybe you can be a leading example. I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I do know. You can own your stuff, and you can become who you wish that they were. And so yes, Valentine's weekend, there's going to be lots of flowers and chocolates and all that kind of romantic stuff, and all that's great. But I really do believe that the most romantic thing that you can do for Valentine's is to have a healthy relationship. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for just your, your, your guiding principles in the scriptures. Uh, the life is full of twists and turns, and when we throw in the dynamics of relationships, especially romantic ones, um, it can be kind of confusing. 
and yet you have given us so much insight and so much guidance, Lord God. And so, Lord, whether we are parents or grandparents and we're going to be raising up kids who we hope in the future not only follow you but have a great marriage that honors you or maybe we're in the midst of a, a marriage right now that's feeling some conflict and tension or um, we just have some people that we're mentoring, Lord God, wherever we're at, we just pray that you would give us insight, you would give us strength, that we would see the beauty and this gift that you have given us in marriage. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. If you have, um, if you have young ones, they're going to be ready for a pickup. If you have young ones but you haven't checked them in, go and check it out. We've kind of redone the building. It's awesome. It's safe. You're going to love it. Other than that, have a great week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.